If you would, please turn to the Bible to Job chapter two. Job chapter two. The first two chapters of the book of Job are uh, very much so different than the rest of the book. They're a narrative about what's happening in Job's life and all the tragedy and the, the interaction between God and Satan. And once you finish up chapter two, it starts at chapter three and goes all the way to chapter 38 with just Job and his friends going back and forth about why all of this is going on, giving their thoughts. And it's got some highs and it's got some lows and we're gonna go rather uh, more quickly through it than we have been through these first two chapters. But at the end of chapter two, we have just three verses right here, 11 through 13 on Job's friends. And I have been wanting to study this with you all. We are hearing from, from so many of you all how much you are liking studying Job together. Uh, we, are, we are thankful for that. You know, when a, when a people, when a church commits itself to the word of God and, and just regularly, week after week, we come, we pray for God to use it, we pray for God to open our hearts and ears, and then, we, then we listen to the word. God changes us, he does. God makes us like Jesus from the inside out through the preaching of his word. The Holy Spirit works. Some of y'all that have been here regularly and consistently over the last six weeks, eight weeks, two months, three months are, are experiencing that right now. Many of you all are thinking, I am growing more right now than I ever have in my life spiritually because of the word of God every Sunday. And so here we are at the end of chapter two with Job's three friends. You know, it's not often that you get to hear a sermon in church from the Bible on friendship. And I haven't preached too many of those. But today, that's what it's gonna be about. In the bulletin, it says five characteristics of a true friend, five examples of a true friend. You know, I was never a big movie guy when I was younger. I, I haven't watched many movies, to be honest. And the ones that I did watch when I was younger, I'm ashamed that I've watched now. But once I started having kids, we've gotten into a lot of movies. One of my all-time favorites is Cars. Cars 1, I love it. I've seen it a thousand times. But another one that I really like is Toy Story. Y'all like Toy Story? That's a good movie. And I know you know this song, don't you? You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said. You've got a friend in me. And you know it keeps saying, yeah, you've got a friend in me, you've got a friend in me. You've got troubles and I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we see it through because you've got a friend in me. Some other folks might be a little bit smarter than I am, bigger and stronger too, maybe, but none of them will ever love you the way I do. It's me and you. And as the years go by, our friendship will never die. You're gonna see it's our destiny 
you've got a friend in me. That's a good song, isn't it? Perhaps it's worth just watching Toy Story again to hear that at the beginning, right? But what I want us to see today from the word of God that comes along with that song is that friendship is not often what we think it is. Friendship doesn't necessarily have to happen over common interests. You don't both have to like NASCAR to be friends. You don't both have to like yard work to be friends. You don't both have to be into taking walks to be friends. I think a lot of times we think that you have to have all these things in common and look for somebody that's just like you to be friends. And that song says nothing of that. That song tells us, I'm committed to you. I'm gonna be there for you. When it's hurting, you're gonna have me by your side. All the way till the end, I'm gonna be there with you. That's the friend in that song. That's certainly what we saw in Toy Story, is it not? Read with me, if you will, from Job chapter two, 11 through 13 as we are taken back by Job and his friends. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. What a picture of friendship. Now, I want to say from the outset, this isn't the only way for there to be friendship. There are lots of ways to make a friend. You work with somebody, you can become friends. You know somebody for a really long time, you can be friends. Don't you like it when somebody says, man, I've known them since the early 70s been together a long time. You can have common interests, but I want to say that it's not so much those things that have formed the friendship, but rather those have been settings or contexts to help you identify the friendship. That the friendship is actually the, the commitment to one another. And this is what we see here. If you're not exactly caught up, you've not been watching at home or you haven't been here, Job is described as the, as the best man on earth. Chapter one, verse one says, that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Chapter one, verse three says, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Job was awesome. A man of God, highly respected by everybody. And he had a lot of blessing in his life. And Satan was looking to destroy lives like he is even right now. 
And so Satan checks in with God one day, and it is God's recommendation to Satan, have you tried Job yet? And we talked about that in the early sermons. If that sounds fascinating to you, then, then go back online to the church website and listen to those sermons, because that's what happened. It was God's suggestion. And Satan comes back with all of his cynicism and is like, yeah, right. He, he only says he believes in you because his life is so good, right? And that goes back and forth. And God wants to prove that he is a real savior, a loving God, a keeping God. And so he allows Satan to have a little bit, you know, God holds the chain on Satan. Satan can't take a step toward you if God doesn't let him. That's true. The Bible teaches that. But God allows the slack in the chain to go a little bit so that Satan can go after Job a little bit. And the first time, he's allowed to do damage to Job's stuff. He can't touch Job. And Job still praises God. The second time, Satan comes back and he's even more cynical and he's saying to God, yeah, well, yeah, of course, because it was just his stuff. If you let me go at him now, then he will curse you to your face, God. God says, have at it. And he loosens the chain a little bit further and Satan goes after Job again and he strikes his body from head to toe in horrible sores, something like boils, but he's covered in them and he's miserable. And he now has to go outside of the city and sit in the, in the trash dump where all the ashes are, where they're burning the trash outside of the city by himself as a complete disgrace. His wife has seemed to turn on him. All of his children are dead and he has nothing left. And he's outside of the city suffering. But he doesn't give up on God. He still blesses God. He's not gonna let go of his faith. And that is because God is keeping him. God's not letting go of him. And so that's the setting that we come to here at the end of chapter two in Job's three friends. There's a lot that could be said here. I mean, just walking through the passage, it says they heard and they came and they made an appointment and they showed him sympathy and they saw him and they did not recognize him and they tore their robes and they wept and they did the ashes and they sat with him. I mean, there's all of these things that you see the friends doing. But I know y'all don't like it when I have more than three points and I was gonna have about nine, so today we just have five. Five characteristics of a true friend. Before we start looking at those five, though, I do want to make this point, and I hope this will, will, will stick with you. The best way to have a friend is to be a friend. I hope you know that. The best way to have a friend is to be a friend. If our attitude is always like, well, why didn't they come talk to me? Or why didn't you come talk to me? Or nobody, nobody talked to me. And, and, and my attitude is always like, where, where are my friends? And why aren't anybody trying to be a friend of me? And nobody wants to be my friend like that. Then we're missing out on what we're supposed to be, right? If friendship is deeper than just common interests, like I've said, if friendship is like we heard in the song from Toy Story, if friendship is what we see from these three people, then everybody in this room can go right now and be a wonderful friend to anybody, regardless of their age or life circumstance. If you're looking for somebody who's walking through tragedy right now and they're sitting down crying and you wanna go and sit down with them and weep with them, that's friendship. 
And every single one of us can do that, right? Now, if you're looking for somebody to go play golf with and have a great time with you and pay for the drinks one round and you pay for the drinks next round, okay, that's a different thing, but I don't call that friendship. Might be friendship, also might not be. Friendship goes much deeper. The best way to have a friend is to be a friend. So when we hear these five points today, we're gonna naturally think, and I am too, but we're gonna naturally think, well, do I have anybody in my life that's like that toward me? And I know that we're all gonna think that. But I also want you to think first, and even more importantly, am I that to people, okay? Not do you have those friends, but are you that friend? Number one, they came. Look at verse 11. When Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came. They showed up. They wanted to be there. When Job, when Job was at his worst, when Job was at his lowest, his friends wanted to be there. They weren't turned off. They weren't upset. They weren't frustrated. They weren't blaming him. Now, once they start talking, we get into all of that, okay? But we're not there yet. I mean, seriously, we're not there yet. It's easy to kind of dismiss these three verses and hurry up into the, the, the dialogue, but we're not. When they heard, they came. That's special, isn't it? They were present. It's called the ministry of presence. You know, a lot of people get held back because they think, I, I don't have the right words. You've said that before. I, I don't have the right words. I don't know what I would say. I'm not that sharp. I'm not that smart. I don't know the right thing to say. Guess what Job's three friends did? They came and they didn't say anything. They were just there. They were present. There's power in that. There's so much power in that. We need to ask ourselves, are you there for somebody? There are people in your lives right now that are hurting. There are people in your lives right now that are having a hard time. They're ready to give up. They're suffering. They cried last night. Are you there for them? That's what these friends have done. When they heard about the evil that they're going, that he was going through, they came. Now, they didn't, they didn't check social media to see it. They didn't get the phone call. I don't know how they heard. Word had spread. Job was probably the most famous guy around because he was the greatest guy around. But when word got to them, they came. And it's also neat because we've got these three places. He's a Timonite, and he's a Shuhite, and he's a Namathite. And these would be, these would be cities. We're talking way east. Remember, Job is a really, really old book, so the, the world's not really developed at this point. And we don't exactly know what these places are, but it's three different guys from three different places. But they came. Listen, we have got to have people in our lives that are going to be there for us. And the way we start with that is by saying, I want to be the person that's gonna be there for such and such. Now, it is true. You cannot be there for everybody. And a great study that I, that, I, that I stumbled upon in preparing for this was the amount of friends that people actually have. And it's typically not five or 10 or 12 or 25 or 100. It's typically like one, two, or three. One commentator said, you can see how great Job was because he had three people in his life like that. 
three people drop their lives, travel from afar, and show up for a week, for a week of grief. Not an hour visit. Not a pat on the back. You, you hold it together, buddy. We'll, we'll be praying for you. Keep your head up, Job. Because all that stuff's good, and, and we at least try that a week. Seven days, seven nights, it says. They were there. Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of presence. Being there for somebody. When we had a baby, I remember when people came. I remember who was at the hospital to see us. Val and I were here in Fairdale, but we got married in 2005 in Charlotte, North Carolina, a good 500-mile drive, eight hours. And y'all didn't hardly know me then, I understand that. But some of you all were there. Some of you all were at our wedding in Charlotte, North Carolina. We couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. And every year on April 2nd, we, we get out the old videos and see how skinny and goofy I looked and how beautiful Val looked. We look at those old wedding videos and you know what? When I see Fairdale people at our wedding in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2005, I'm like, wow. Wow. We... We mattered to them. They mattered to us. Job's friends came. They didn't call, they came. They came, they were there. Number one, a true friend will be there. Now certainly there's excuses and why we can't, we know that. If you can't make it, we understand. But we're observing here that they came. Number two, a true friend will be connected to you. Now, let's be careful with connected because I've already tried to tear down what you're connected over, but let's see what we've got here, okay? Notice what it says that these three guys did. Verse 11 says, they each came from his own place, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. But look at the next sentence. This is an awesome sentence. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. A united effort in this. Think about that. They didn't have a group text that where they could make it happen really quickly. Somehow, from this part of the world and this part of the world and this part of the world, they had gotten word that their dear friend was sitting outside the city, hardly enclosed, covered in boils, broken pottery, scraping himself, desiring to die. They had gotten word. And they came together to make an appointment? I mean, how do you do that? Haven't we said recently, how'd we make it without cell phones, right? How did we make it without these pocket calendars and pushing it in there and, and the reminders, right? How did we do all that? How in the world did they coordinate three significant friends coming to meet this guy? How'd they know where he was? How'd they know where to find him? How'd they decide to get there at the same time? They were connected. Their lives were able to commit to each other's lives and somehow make it work. We've got different schedules. 
Our kids go different places. They all go to different schools here in Louisville, Kentucky. But they were connected. And their friendship was able to thrive and show this very thing here. They were able to make an appointment together. Commentator Anderson says, the fact that they met by appointment shows that they were already acquaintances who felt it would be better to come together. Strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine and 10 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. Strength in numbers. These guys knew how much it would mean to Job if they showed up together, right? These guys knew how much it would mean to Job if they showed up together. Can you imagine being in Job's position? Sitting outside, lonely, crying, upset, no answers. Remember, he didn't know of Satan. Satan's already finished in the book of Job. I've said that to y'all every week. Satan's done. We're already at chapter two, verse 11. He's gone. There's no mention of Satan again through the next 40 chapters. Job has no idea. All Job knows is that he's got a father in heaven that he's gonna hold on tightly to, but he doesn't understand why his father in heaven is treating him this way. Now, chapter uh, two, verse 11 right here does say that Job's friends heard of all the evil. And so that's where we know that it was God that let Satan do it because God doesn't do evil, but God will allow evil, but he makes Satan do it. They were connected though. And they wanted to be together, strength in numbers, to lift up their guy, their brother, their friend. True friends find a way to stay connected. They adjust their schedules. They adjust their plans. They adjust their lives. They find a way to stay connected. And these guys did. Number one, they came. Number two, they were connected. Number three, they comforted. They comforted. At the end there, verse 11, it says that the reason why they made the appointment together was to come and to show him sympathy and comfort him. Hmm. They comforted. This is why I'm trying to make the point of what a true friend is. Because it's one thing to have a common interest. It's another thing to have enough interest to want to comfort somebody. Anybody that likes golf will play golf. Right? Anybody that's got the same hobbies and interests can connect with somebody over the hobbies and interests. But when you're down and out, experiencing death and loss and suffering in the way that Job has, who are the friends then that will comfort? Are you that type of friend? Does your, does your friendship go to the extent that you want to comfort your friends? Do you want to comfort them in their suffering? Because this is the reason why they made the appointment. 
They didn't just go to see what had happened. They didn't just go to see it wasn't really that bad. They didn't just go to see, did his kids really die? Did he really lose all of that wealth? They didn't just go to check it out. They wanted their presence. They wanted their coming together, their connection. They wanted that to bring comfort to Job. Why do you want to comfort somebody? Because you don't like it that they're hurting. In other words, you're hurting because they're hurting. They wanted to comfort him. They wanted to make him feel better. They wanted to ease the pain. They wanted to shoulder the load. They wanted to carry the burden. They wanted to be there with him through this. They wanted him to feel loved as he was loved. They loved him. They could have loved him from afar. They could have sent a letter and that would have been thoughtful and sweet. They wanted more than that. They wanted to go and be there that he would be comforted. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Well, what about when all your kids die and you lose everything and you're a disgrace and nobody likes you and you sit outside suffering? Will a real friend be there then? Absolutely. Absolutely. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know that verse. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now, it's a different study and I don't wanna go that far, but the Bible makes clear, okay? The Bible makes clear that friendship is better than family. I don't know if we're ready for that conversation, but the Bible makes clear. I heard one person say, friendship's better than family when the family tree is the cross. Have you ever heard that before? Friendship's better than family when the family tree is the cross. Because we now understand in light of grace and mercy and forgiveness and redemption and staying by and commitment toward each other the way our heavenly father is committed to us. That's not to downplay family relationships we, we are thankful for family, and I hope your families are stronger than ever. I'm just trying to show you what the Bible is teaching about how strong family is. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And these guys wanted to comfort him. They wanted to show him sympathy and comfort him. Number three, they comforted. Number four, they cried. Can't miss this. Verse 12 and when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. I wanna remind you that these were men. This isn't the women's ministry. Can you imagine friendship where a man is suffering and three men show up crying? Wow. I want that. I want that and I want to be that. These are men, real men. And if it sounds soft to you, I want to remind you the baddest man that ever lived, and I'll use that in a good way, Jesus cried. 
Jesus wasn't afraid of anybody at any time, no matter what. Remember the man in the cemetery that didn't have on clothes and kept breaking the chains that they chained him down with? Remember how tough that dude was? Remember Jesus walking up to him and that guy just totally going backwards? You remember the army with torches and lanterns and weapons, the army that came after Jesus in the garden to arrest him that night when Judas was about to betray him? Torches, lanterns, and weapons. An army comes into the garden. Do you remember what the Bible says? Jesus gets up from praying, kind of sounds soft, and walks toward them and says, who are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, I am. Quotes the Old Testament name of God, I am. And you know what the whole army did? The whole crew. They weren't as bad as they thought they were. Jesus cried. Because it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of heart. And in this passage, it's a sign of friendship. The Bible teaches us through and through that it's good to cry in the setting where tears should happen. Now, there are a lot of times where people should not be crying. And so parents are right when they say, you better wipe those tears off of your face. Don't be crying right now. This ain't a time to cry. Pick your head up. And there is a time where you shouldn't be crying, and there's a time where it's wrong to cry. If you say, can I have another cookie? I've already had 10, just one more. And we say, no. And you start crying, stop crying. Stop crying. But there is a time to cry, and the Bible teaches us this. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse four, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. You've heard that before. But New Testament, Romans 12, 15, weep with those that weep. That's a beautiful New Testament church covenant mindset. If they're crying, we're crying. It matters to us. If it matters to you, it matters to us. And 1 Corinthians 12 says that exact same thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. Men and women, if you're going through it, we're going through it. Job's friends, men, successful men, drop what they got going on, travel all the way there, and when they see him, they started crying. Men, don't cry when you shouldn't be crying, but when it's time to cry, be willing to cry. True friends do. I'm sure Job felt the love in those moments. They came, they connected, they comforted, they comforted, they cried, and lastly, they contained their judgment. They contained their judgment. Look at verse 12. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. Now watch this. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. Now listen, those are signs of grief and mourning. That's consistent with the Old Testament. What the Old Testament teaches, here's how you respond to death. And you know that, you've heard that stuff before. So, were they talking about his children? Or were they thinking he's dying? It might have been. 
We've all gone to visit somebody whose health is so bad that we wanted to be there with them, but we knew in our mind they don't have much time left. I think that's kind of what's going on here. Because they're showing all the signs of responding to death, being in the presence of death. Death is coming. Look at this. They're crying. They're raising their voices. They tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Signs of grief and mourning according to death. Now, it could have been just because Job had lost all of his children and really because Job was suffering so much. It could have just been that. But perhaps they're thinking Job is dying. No reason to think otherwise in a lot of ways. So what did they do? Verse 13, and they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Y'all, that is an awesome verse. I would encourage you to underline and highlight that. Seven days and nights. Most of us these days could never commit that much time. It has me longing for a slower world, doesn't it you? Doesn't it? That we would go and do that for seven days for somebody that's suffering? But my point here is that they contained their judgment. Surely, They had a lot of thoughts. Surely they had a lot to say. They had a lot of questions, right? Joe, what in the world, man? But they didn't. Now they're going to later on and we're gonna get into that, but right now they don't. And that's why I'm saying surely they've got questions and thoughts because they're about to unload again on 40 chapters of questions and thoughts. They're about to be annoying. They're about to be wrong. They're about to uh, look like Bad friends, if you will, for all that they're about to say, but that's coming up. But right here for this week, they didn't. And there's so much wisdom here, so much wisdom. If you want to be godly, if you want to be a true friend, if you want to represent Christ and really be a part of a healthy church, then learn the wisdom of this. There was a lot that they wanted to say. There was a lot of opinion here. There was a lot, but they didn't. They contained their judgment. They sat down with him. They observed, they observed, they observed that his suffering was very great. Commentator Anderson says, attention is focused not on the abstract mystery of evil, not on the moral question of undeserved suffering, but on one man's physical existence in bodily pain. There was nothing to be said. These wise men are horrified and speechless. They were true friends, bringing to Job's lonely ash heap the compassion of a silent presence. Wow. The compassion of a silent presence. If you're here today and you are suffering to some degree of another, listen, If you're here today and you are suffering to some degree or another, this sounds awesome, doesn't it? Y'all, we're living in a day and perhaps the TV and the social media is driving. We're living in a day where we are being 
sucked into, give me your thoughts, give me your thoughts, give me your thoughts, give me your thoughts, give me your thoughts. Hey, I've only got two minutes, but here's what I think, right? I've only got two minutes, but here's what I think. Here's what I would suggest, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta let you go. Y'all, we're being pulled into that. We got just a few minutes to wait at the doctor's office in the line. Okay, let me just scroll through Facebook real quick and leave a little comment right here, right? That's what we're being sucked into. Give me your thoughts, give me your thoughts, give me your thoughts. Somebody posts on Facebook that their mom just died or their dad sitting outside burning in the trash heap, suffering miserably and doesn't have anything left. Is a comment gonna help? Be real, is a comment gonna help? Is your comfort going away because 30 people said praying for you, praying for you, praying for you? Do you think they really did? They contained their judgment. Not to mention, not to mention trying to say why this is happening or here's what I would change or here's how you can make it go away. Not any recommendations on how he needs to change his diet and that'll fix those things. Not any recommendations on how he needs to get up and shake it off and needs to pick his head up. Not any recommendations on all of these things. Nothing. They contained their judgment. They sat with him. What a thought. Notice the details of sitting on the ground. I know it's a different time period. They didn't all have those little plastic chairs that we can pull out in the backyard. Seven days and seven nights. Let's think for just a second. What could they have said? You know, I, I, I once had boils, Job. <laughs> Those things itch, man. They, they bother you. Have you tried Neosporin? Because, man, it, it works. What would you have said? Is there anything that you could say? And see, that's what I'm wanting us to learn. That's what I'm trying to learn. At first, for a little bit, for that first week, for those seven days, nothing. And another thing that sounds really good here, I think what they were waiting on was with respect, connectedness. Let's see what Job says. Let's hear what he says. And what we see is that they do let Job speak. See, chapter three is Job. Chapter three is what Job says. I think they were just waiting. And they would have waited and waited to see what Job said. But it shows us how deep that suffering was because Job wasn't saying anything. He didn't say, well, guys, I know y'all came a long way and it's about to get dark and y'all need to get back. I know, I know you gotta get to work tomorrow. This shows how deep the suffering was. Nobody said a word for seven days. They contained their judgment. Five characteristics of a true friend. They came, they were present, they were connected, they made appointment together. They comforted him by showing sympathy and comfort. They cried, they literally wept with him. They lifted their voices and cried. They contained their judgment. They sat on the ground by his side and they did not say a word. That's the type of friend that we all want, but more importantly, that's the type of friend that we all need to be. That's what the world should be getting from us. That's what our children should be getting from us. You can be friends with your children. You just have to be other things too, okay? Like disciplinarians. That's the type of friend that our neighbors need from us, that our colleagues need from us. Whoever you decide to be friends with, that's the type of friend that they need from us. 
but it all sounds good, and this is a wild story, I know, it's true, but it's a wild story. And we find ourselves here at the end asking, are there friends that good? Are there people like that? And I know some of you all are going, absolutely, I could name you one right now. I know some of you all are thinking, absolutely, they're sitting right beside me here today. I know some of you all are thinking, I have a friend like this. They would drop everything at the first phone call and they would be right there. I know of stories where people are sitting with people even right now, day and night, to be by their side until the end. And I know how hard it is. So is this possible? It is. But I want to remind you here that the Bible uses the word friend when it speaks of Jesus to us. Don't miss this. In John chapter 15, the passage where he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, we read this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, John 15, 15, listen to this. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But listen, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. In all the heartache that you and I experience on we don't have any friends or we don't have enough friends or where are my friends, or perhaps you have looked in the mirror and you've asked, am I a friend to anybody before you leave today to answer those questions, would you believe here today that God Almighty, Jesus Christ, God's Son, can be your friend? He is the friend, ultimately, that sticks closer than a brother. And while you have already learned that your friends cannot be your Savior, your Savior can be your friend. Isn't that good? While you have already learned that your friends cannot be your savior, and for as wonderful as friends are, they have disappointed us before. But our savior can be our friend. I asked Andrew Crawford if he would sing that old hymn for us during the, the offering. What a friend we have in Jesus. And it's an old one, but I wanna read it to you again. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do our friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee 
you will find a solace there. We're out of order when we're frustrated on how disappointed our friendships are. We're out of order when we're searching for friends in all the wrong places. That's the whole idea of getting caught up with the wrong crowd. I'm telling you here today that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, to be with you always. He will never leak you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. He will be with you always and he will be a very present help in time of trouble. He will be your friend. God will be your friend. God will be enough for you. God will never leave you alone. He will keep you. He will guard your heart. He will love you and he will give you peace. And when Jesus is your friend, he will empower you to be that friend that he is to you. Jesus will empower you to be that friend that he is to you. So we don't start with, where are all my friends? I sure wish I was Job and had those type of friends. We don't start with that. We start with turning to God for forgiveness of sins, to trust in Jesus, to make us a friend. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Job and his three friends. Thank you, God, for your word that's working in us. God, make us friends. Give us friendships by the power of your spirit according to grace and forgiveness. Oh, Father, may we trust in Jesus. Father, help this kind of odd message to just rest on us as we evaluate our lives and we evaluate the, the coming and the connecting and the comforting and the crying and the containing Father, I pray that Fairdale and South Louisville would be strengthened today because better friendships are going to be established, committed to people. Father, we pray that in our church, we would care for each other as true friends would because Jesus cares for us. In his name we pray, amen. If you're here today, I want to ask you to trust in Christ. If you want to come forward and have me help you think about what it means to believe in Jesus, ask him to forgive your sins, make a commitment to Christ, ask Jesus to be your friend. Renew your commitment to Jesus being your friend. We can do that now. If you're here today and you think, well, I do believe, but I've never been baptized. I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to take that step, make that commitment. If you want to be baptized, you come let us know. and We will help you move toward baptism. If you want to be a part of this church, we're starting a new members class in, in May, but if you want to let the church know that you're ready to join the church, and you can do that now. There's nothing more important in the world than knowing God through Christ. If you need to respond, let's respond.